Good, good. Let's get into the Word. If you, if you would, turn to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, and we'll read a, a verse that we've been reading for the last month or so. This is a, a new series called Right Living in a Wrong World. Anybody interested in living right? Yes. <laughs> Semi-strong, little bit lacking conviction. Anybody else interested in living right? Yes. I mean, <laughs> Praise God. Amen. A lot I can say there. Let's just get right into this. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 15, 34 reads, Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Let me remind you once again, those who have been here, that there are two primary points we're focusing on. Number one, awake to righteousness, and number two, do not sin. All right? They're in that order because how many know you don't tell an unbeliever, stop sinning? Our message to the world is not stop sinning. Our message to the world is Jesus died for your sins. And you're, not, you're, you're, you're ceasing to sin. One, you'll be unsuccessful. And number two, it won't save you anyway. So we want to talk about the great sacrifice of our Lord. And once you get saved, then you want to be alive to the fact that you are right with God. The blood of Jesus really did wash and cleanse you. And you stand holy, spotless, and pure before Him. Isn't that good news? We want to be awake to that reality. But here's the second message, and this series is more focused on the latter part, do not sin. This is also a valid New Testament message to all of us. Sometimes we need a good, strong, in-your-face, stop doing that kind of message. We're ruining our lives and maybe the lives of other people, not because of our rejection or acceptance of the Lord, but because of how we walk that out or fail to walk that out. Everybody with me? And so this is a very important. I'll remind you again without you having to turn there, of Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So he's writing to believers in Philippi. All right. So they're already saved. He says, work it out. Work out what you already have. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Not that it is God who works to you or on you. He works in you. In other words, God's not making us do what we ought to do. How many wish he would sometimes? <laughs> or at least on some other people. He has chosen not to work with people that way. He does not force his will upon us. If someone says, well, if God, if God wants it to happen, then it's just going to happen. That is just 100% not true. Okay, he works in us, working on our want to, so that we can decide to, hopefully, but it's still up to us. And then he gives us the ability, the power, the strength to carry out the very thing that brings him pleasure. So God's working in, of us, in all of us. So none of us are without hope. None of us are without strength. If you failed a thousand times, you should read this verse and say before God, thank you, you're working in me right now on my want to and my to do. And I can do what pleases you. I'm teaching a, a bit in this message, this series, on the application of righteousness. Okay? It's one thing to be made right with God. That is by faith in the finished work of Jesus. 
It is another thing, they're connected, but it still is another thing to walk that out, to live it out, to walk in a righteous way. So I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4 with me. Once again, we, we taught from this uh, passage last week, and I want to continue with it. You, you might re remember that I, I said the first three chapters of Ephesians deal primarily with who we are in Christ, those type of components, um, where we stand spiritually with God. Chapter 4, he begins to elaborate on the outworking of that. And this is our day-to-day -day living, okay? We celebrate and rejoice in what Jesus has done for us, but I've got to figure out a way to walk this out so it's visible. Not just the invisible spiritual reality, but the visual components that everybody else sees. In, in verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Now, notice, not be worthy, that only happens by faith in Jesus, but to walk worthy of this calling. Verse, verse 2, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So he's given some instruction here already on what a worthy walk looks like, but he uses this word endeavoring. Okay, what does endeavoring mean? It can be defined as to make effort. He says make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Endeavor means to be diligent. It means to labor. One word, I don't want you to throw out, that describes the, the Christian life is work. We are to work at some things. Everybody with me? Say, I thought it was just effortless. <laughs> no, that is not a descriptive word of all aspects of the Christian life that you're not going to put any effort into anything. We are to work. We are to labor, if you will, in this way. And, and, and because it's, this is a noble, a worthy, a valuable component or character trait to have, he says, work on it. Now, lest we get too much in our own selves, uh, let's have the right thinking. I, I remember what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, describing himself as, as by saying something to this effect, that I am what I am by the grace of God. And then he, 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 he went on to say, but I labored more abundantly than everyone else. He said, yet, not I, but the grace of God in me. And so he seems to go back and forth. He's like, the grace of God made me this way, and that's why I'm successful. But I also worked hard. But even when I was working, it was really God in me. And you might step back and say, Paul, stop. Which one is it? Did you do it or did God do it? What's the answer to that? Yes. Yes. I mean, was he doing it on his own? No, that would have been unsuccessful. Was God doing it all? No, because if God were doing it all, we wouldn't even be having this discussion. Because we're not a component. He worked hard by the grace of God. He worked and was diligent and put his hand and probably sweat sometimes. 
got tired. He really worked at it. But then when he looked back, he said, ah, yeah, I don't know. Was that me or was that God? Because it was God's grace compelling him. This is the same way we are to do life. We are to work at it. But the Holy Spirit is our helper. We're the doer. He's the helper. And if we will lean upon him, we'll be successful in our endeavors. And we'll look back. And instead of patting ourselves on the, uh, on the back, we'll say, yeah, I think this was all God. Yeah, amen. amen. I, ho I hope, that, hope that makes sense. It's that, it's that uh, cooperative relationship that really makes this thing work. If we don't work at this, um, what we're going to find is division will sneak in. Again, the context there is keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Why do I need to work at this? It's because I'm trying to keep unity with people. Yeah, do you guys know any people? How many know sometimes they're very difficult? Do you know any of those? <laughs> Yes, yeah. Sometimes people are very difficult to, uh, to work with and they can be a challenge, but it's worth it. God did not call us to be all on our own, not by ourselves. Every now and then someone buys into that old worn out lie of the devil. I don't need church. I don't need, you know, spiritual family. I can just be in the Lord just all by myself. That has never worked. That's a trick. It's a lie. It's a deception of the devil to get people disconnected from the body, to make them vulnerable to attack, to, to uh, produce in them a selfishness. And, and so that's, that's not going to be God's answer for this. We're going to have to put effort into getting along and working with each other. But all of us will be... Um, we'll have the opportunity to divide. The enemy is a divider. Wants to get in, if you're married, wants to break that up. Wants to make, break other relationships up. Wants to break churches up and cause issues where people won't, they won't want to be a part of it anymore because so-and-so is there. You understand that there's a spirit behind that. It's not the Lord. So I just don't want to deal with it. Well, <laughs> buck up. We have to deal with some stuff, you guys. Seriously, it's just for a minute. You know, like 100 years. <laughs> and we're out of here forever. When I have pro we won't have problems with this in eternity. Right. Say, well, it's hard. I know. Sometimes it is. What are we going to do? It's, it's worth it. Amen. We're called to something amazing. It's worth it. Yes. It's worth it to apologize to people or to forgive them or to give them a break. It's worth it to be around people that rub you the wrong way. Yep. Hallelujah. <laughs> so I don't really want to. I know, but we're not talking about what you want. We're talking about what the Lord wants. It's all about me. <laughs> what was that song we sang? Jesus at the center? Not me at the center. Hallelujah. So let's go back to our walk. Does our walk aid the cause of Christ or hinder it? Not our salvation, our walk. Does it contribute to the gospel going forward and other people being helped and blessed? Or is this a hindrance? I, I want to 
draw your attention to a guy in the book of Acts. You won't need to turn there, but if you want, you can. But it's Acts chapter 8. And if you know the story of Acts chapter 8, it starts off with Philip uh, going to Samaria and preaching the gospel. Philip is, is the only identified evangelist in the New Testament or in, in the Bible. And uh, there were great signs and wonders and miracles and healings and salvations galore. It was, there was great joy in that city. There was a guy who lived there named uh, Simon, all right? Simon the sorcerer. He was into magic. He was into witchcraft. He was into sorcery. And it was really the power of the devil. And he did things to, Im to impress other people. He had a following. But he also heard Philip preach. He saw the miracles, saw the healings. He heard the gospel. And not only did a lot of people believe, Simon believed too. And he was, then he got baptized. This is uh, Acts 8, 13. Then Simon himself also believed when, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. So he believed, he was saved, and he kept coming to church. Right? So he seems like the real deal to me. And he's recorded in here as, as someone who believed. But what he did after that is what's concerning. Okay, he's doing good right now. After that, he starts observing what's happening with the Holy Spirit. And if you know the story, Peter and John came to get everybody baptized in the Holy Spirit. Remember, they got saved, they got baptized in water, but they hadn't received the Holy Spirit yet. How many know that's essential for all believers? If that's a new message to you, we want to help you with this. Don't get saved. Congratulations to those who got baptized today. It's awesome. You also have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. All right, if you want to do this thing God's way. So, but, but Simon was watching this. He was observing people being filled with the Spirit. He was impressed. And so you know what he did? He offered uh, the apostles money. He said, I want to be able to do that. Can I buy this? How much will this cost? For me, to, I'll pay you some money. You give this ability to me so I can get people filled with the Spirit too. And that was a big fat no-no. And he drew a swift and harsh rebuke from Peter. It's interesting. Peter didn't say, oh, Simon, we just, everybody gather around Simon. We just need to love on him some more. <laughs> Simon's just a new believer and, uh, and he just doesn't know things. And he just, we just got to send him to some classes to learn uh, about not buying the gifts of God. <laughs> I just find this very interesting how you treat some new believers. <laughs> I wouldn't say this is standard practice for everybody. Certainly not everybody needs this. But it, it, let me read to you a little bit more. In verse 20, but Peter said to him, your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. He said, let your money die with you because you had a wrong thought. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Again, we've got this guy, Simon, who was clearly a believer. He was baptized. He was following them uh, continually, but he had a heart problem. He had a real issue inwardly, 
and his actions drew swift rebuke. What? Not his salvation didn't get rebuked, but his, what was still existing in him that was so contrary to the ways of God, to the Spirit of God, that Peter thought, we got to deal with this guy quickly. Now, how many know Simon could have got upset with that? He could have said, ah, bless God. I, I thought I was saved now. I thought forgiveness was real. I'm out of here. I'm going to do my own thing because I can't believe you would talk to me like that. <laughs> Good news is if you read on, he didn't. He humbled himself. And, and instead of being in pride, he humbled himself to make changes. Yeah. yeah. But this is a necessary step sometimes for us. Me meaning this, if he wasn't dealt with I believe in this strong manner, he may have continued entertaining both this old mindset, this ungodly demonic mindset of buying the gifts of God, and also tried to mix that with his new faith in Jesus and kind of co-mingled that. That might have been a cancer that would spread through the church. All right. But it would have really harmed him. And, and, and my, my uh, I don't know if concern is the right word. I don't want Believers, I don't want anyone here to be bound up in a wrong attitude, a sinful mentality continually. Sometimes, is it possible for a Christian to still have a wrong heart towards something? And they genuinely receive the Lord, but they're goofed up. I'm saying I don't want that to hold you, hold you back, hold you down, keep you in bondage. And sometimes we need a strong word like that that says, okay, uh, brother, sister, it's time to deal with this. I don't mean we don't love you. I don't mean we want to condemn. But this is serious business. You've got to quit that. You've been thinking this way. You've been, you've been offering or whatever the condition is, whatever the, the issue is, you've got to repent of this. It's time to change. You know, repentance, the simple definition means it's a change. It's a change from one direction to another, from one way of thinking to another that drives behavior. Simon had thinking. He said, the language was strong. Your money perished with you because you had this thought. But his thought led to an action. Spiritual repentance works the same way. It is a thought that says, I'm shifting my thoughts. I'm changing from me to the Lord, from, from lie to truth. I'm shifting my thoughts, but not just in a flippant mental, I, I change gears, but I'm shifting in a way where it drives my behavior. Everybody with me? Yes. And, and, and if you have, if you're a believer and you have struggled with particular wrongdoing, particular sins, struggles, and, and you know, You've struggled with them for a long time. When I say you struggle with them, I mean you, can, you keep doing them. That's what I mean by struggling. You do them, feel bad about it, do them again, feel bad about it, do it again, feel bad about it. Sometimes for years. If you don't ever deal with it, it hardens your heart. Yeah? But it, there can be a once and for all. There can be a, a, a line drawn in the sand. You know, there can be a moment where you get before God and maybe with a, a friend, a brother or sister in Christ. And you say, I, I need you. I want you to help me with this. But I'm changing this. This was done, it appears, very publicly. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Peter rebuked it. So other, other, other people knew about it. I'm not saying everyone has to confess their sins to everybody else. There might be a, a, a confidant that you would do that with. 
James wrote about this, said if you confess your sins to one another, you'll be healed. Sometimes in letting someone else know about what your struggle is. Not everybody, and I'm not inviting, I'm not hoping to embarrass anyone. <laughs> you let someone else in on it, and you get right before God, it adds a serious nature to it. Someone may get the communion elements out. Get a little bit of bread, get the cup, and say, this is it. I'm done going in this circle, this, living in this bondage year after year after year. I, this is not who I am, and I'm going to walk this out. And I break the power of Satan over my life. I break the power of this bondage. I, from my heart, repent of this wrongdoing. Amen. Everybody with me? We're talking about freedom here. And the Lord wants people to be free, not just in eternity, but here and now, in this life. Christians don't need to constantly repent for nonspecific actions. That's just sin consciousness. But I'm talking about laying the axe to the root of something that's held you in bondage, even after salvation. Praise God. Paul went on in Ephesians now to teach them about various things that were involved in walking out this worthy calling, okay? He talked to them about their need to grow. I mean, no Christians need to grow. You get saved, What's, what, what do I need to do next? Grow up. Because spiritually, you need educated. You, you need uh, faith in God's word. A lot of things you need to grow. Secondly, he, he talked about receiving from ministry gifts. He talked to them about the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. He said, they're here to equip you. They're here to, 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 to enable you to do the work of ministry. And it'll cause you to grow. He, he spoke to them about being connected with the body. How we're, we're joined together. He talked to them about, this is all in Ephesians chapter 4. He talked to them about doing your part. Doing your share. Every part of the body does its share. You know, all these things are, nest, they're part of our walk. I believe in the Lord. Good for you. What does that look like? Well, I have faith in the Lord. I do too. Good for you. What does that look like? There should be some visual components to our life in Christ. Right? And part of that is doing something. We all do our portion. We all do our share. One of the things we've done here, I've worked hard, talking about work, worked hard to create a, an environment, a system, a training center, if you will, for people to be able to be used of God in accordance with their own ability, with the grace of, I want everyone to be used of God, not just go to church. Say, well, I don't want, I just want to go to church. Well, come, but if you stay long enough, this will get in you. <laughs> took me a while. I remember when this happened to me. It took me a while sitting in church before it dawned on me, I'm supposed to do something. <laughs> when it did, I felt dumb. I'm not trying to make anyone feel dumb. If you don't feel dumb, don't, you know, you can feel smart. <laughs> but I did. I thought, what am I doing? It just dawned on me. I'm supposed to do something for God. And then I did. And good things happened. I don't want to go down that pathway and, and, and share those things right now. But I want you to look at, at verse 17 then of Ephesians 4. You're still there? Verse 17. You guys are listening too well. I'm using up all my time. <laughs> Ephesians 4, 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk. Remember verse 1? 
Walk. Now no longer walk. How? As the rest of the Gentiles, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. All right, lots of big, you know, interesting words in there. But he's talking about how the Gentiles walk. That's not just speaking about non-Jews. Think anyone outside of salvation, outside of the covenant. All right? The world, we could say. The heathen is, is used. How they walk, he said, don't walk that way. Why would you even have to tell them that? The Ephesus people might be saying, Paul, what are you talking about, bro? We are Christians. We are tongue talkers. We are. What are you saying? Apparently, it was necessary for them to hear, listen, you are surrounded by a world of ungodliness. You can't let their walk become your walk. That was a real threat. That, they, that the church would look like the, their community. Instead of them being counterculture and working to change those around them, they could become like them. If that was a, the case with them, that they could do this, that could happen to us. I, I think uh, this is... Interesting how, the, this, how it's written in the Amplified Bible. It seems to elaborate on this passage in a way that so perfectly describes our day and our, where we live. Ephesians 4.19 Amplified. In their spiritual apathy, they have become callous and past feeling and reckless and have abandoned themselves a prey to unbridled sensuality eager and greedy to indulge in every form of impurity that their depraved desires may suggest and demand. This is, you guys, this is what we need to watch out for. We need to see it and call it what it is and keep it, and keep it from getting in us. I don't mean our mission is necessarily to go out and correct everybody for their depravity. Our mission is to get Jesus into, into, the, into them. That's first and foremost. But we must be able to see things the way they really are. What the world pushes right now is, as it's described here, unbridled sensuality. What do you mean unbridled? No controls on it. It's the old, good old-fashioned, whatever feels good, do it. Right? And a bridle is on the horse. If you don't have the bridle, the horse runs wherever he wants. Yeah? But that's, there should be a bridle on sensuality. It's not whatever you feel is good is just okay. Not for the believer. That's not who we are. That is not consistent with a worthy walk. This is often treated, any kind of, when you talk about sexual standards, um, it's often treated as something that's archaic or, or just oppressive in some way. And so the, the, the standards of God and of the Word of God are often spoken down against by the culture around us. Our job, our goal is to keep that thinking out of us. Because what drives that thinking? It's the people being alienated from the life of God. Okay, Their understanding is darkened. And so if I am intimidated by that, or I'm going to back off the message because I don't want anyone to accuse me of, you know, something unkind, then I am going to adapt to that. 
And this is something that is very, very uh, dangerous, okay? We must not walk this way. I cannot think about ungodly behavior and consider it normal, acceptable, or worthy of the calling. Everybody with me today? Uh, James wrote to his church in chapter 3 of his book, and he said, he talked about the two wisdoms. He said there's a wisdom from above and a wisdom from beneath. He said this wisdom, this, this earthly wisdom, is, he, he called it earthly, sensual, and demonic. There's something we can learn there about what spirit is driving things. Demons are involved when the behavior is earthly, meaning contrasted to heavenly. It's not heavenly thoughts. It's not God's eternal purpose. It's earthly oriented. Okay? Think planet worship. Think a whole bunch of stuff could be involved in that. It's sensual. Okay? And this is when people are pushing for sensual, sexual, other sensual freedom, they would call it, it's being driven by the wrong spirit. Okay, it's, it's, gonna, it's, it's against the Lord and it's against us. It's really going to harm us. But if we recognize how that, that spirit works together, then we're not just taking a position or like taking a political position. See, it becomes real pr problematic when Christians let their, their political statements and stuff override the word. Override the kingdom of God. Even if you're on the right side of, you know, the, the aisle that you... I'm, I'm saying in all po po political stuff, there's corruption. We've got we've to watch that we don't let those statements become our statements. This is what, what's our guide. Yes. See, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> Probably a million things, but <laughs> to use the examples here, the sensu sensuality stuff, people will say things like, well, I don't really care what people do in their own bedroom. That's their business. I don't think we really believe that. What if there's a child involved? Do you, do you care then? What if someone's being forced to, uh, opposite of their will? Do you care then? Well, we have sudden concern because someone's being harmed. Right? So it's not, it's just a, a statement like that. I'm not talking about, about making laws. That's not what our focus is here. I'm, I'm for very few laws, but, but as far as caring about what someone's doing, I do. Who are you harming? Say, well, what if it's just two adults? Well, if I love them, I'm still interested in what's going on. If I, if I really care about people and they're doing something that, that they're yielding to the wrong spirit, they're harming themselves, yeah, I do care. I don't mean I want you thrown in jail. I want you to know the Lord. Everybody with me today? And I know this kind of thought and this kind of teaching might be attacked by some and, you know, criticized, but I don't care. <laughs> because if we love people, I've seen what some of these things do to families and lives and, and it brings death and destruction. Amen. So, so these things, um, some of the statements that people adhere to, even if they're from good public figures, they're often not godly. They're not biblical. 
they're not found they're not founded in this and so they actually bring us down. And we're not trying to control someone's behavior, but if we, we start adapting their mentality, before you know it, it's us doing things in the privacy of our own bedrooms. Yeah. And it's inconsistent with our calling. It's say, well, the Lord forgives us. Not with that attitude. That's not the heart of any of this, that we just flippantly do things because the Lord forgives us. No. I think Peter would give you a sharp <laughs> You and Simon. <laughs> We're going to do things from the heart. When mistakes are made, I mean, I tell you, there's forgiveness and mercy if you're looking to the Lord. Uh, but I was asking myself the question, you know, why do I, why do I care about what people do in, in, our, in our church? Why do I care about how, how they live? Other than it's scriptural, it's in the Word. And I thought, real quick, I thought, number one, if, if we don't guard ourselves in this way, it's going to ruin our witness. You want people in your family to respect your Savior, people you know at work, people to know the Lord. If we're saying one thing and living another, we mess that up. I thought, number two, uh, some of these behaviors just don't please God. They don't. He loves us. But if we want to walk close with Him, eh, that's going to hinder our fellowship. Number three, it may invite painful consequences. Why do I want you and why do I want myself and you to walk this way, to walk in a manner worthy of your calling? If you don't, it's going to bite you. It's only a matter of time. It's going gonna, it's gonna to mess with your life and cause you harm. And then I have to pray extra. <laughs> okay, no, forget that. I'll pray extra. And I will. I, I mean that sincerely. When someone has made mistakes and it's costing them, I want to help restore and bring you back and love and forgiveness and mercy with a little rebuke and if necessary, but acceptance and, and love. But I don't want you to be harmed. I don't want anybody to suffer the results of these things. Let me read this, these two verses to you in closing today. Uh, Titus chapter 1 and verse 16 from the NASB. They profess to know God, but, but by their deeds they deny Him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deeds. So you see the contradiction? Titus 2.14, who gave Himself for us, the Lord Jesus, that He might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for Himself, for His own special people, zealous for good works. Think about that. The Lord's goal that we would be purified to what end? So we would have a zeal inside of us, a burning fire within to do good things. God does good things. And He wants His kids to act like Him. The Amplified reads that last part. Who are eager and enthusiastic about living a life that is good and filled with beneficial deeds. I like that word, beneficial. Not detrimental. Not things that bring harm to us or others. But deeds that bring life. That help us. That help those around us. I tell you guys, the Lord is working in us today. What's He doing? He's working in us so we will want to do what He wants. And He's working in us to be able to do 
what he wants. Praise God. We're not in our own strength and our own ability today. But mighty is the Lord working in our midst. Praise God. Praise God. Why don't we say this together? Say it out loud. Say, I know that God loves me. And he is helping me to live out what he created in me when I got saved. He's working on my desire. He gives me the strength, the wisdom, the smarts, the ability to walk in a way that's worthy of him. He's helping me. Praise God. Praise God. He's doing that. He's doing that. It's good to acknowledge it. Amen. How you doing today? Well, the Lord is helping me. That might be even a good answer sometimes when, you know, maybe you're tempted to just give a negative answer. Well, it's been hard and, you know, if enough people ask you that and then you've been saying it all day long. How you doing? The Lord's helping me. You can say that even if things are going well. The Lord's helping me. And live with a consciousness of his help, of his strength. How's things going at home in your marriage if you know someone? Well, the Lord's helping us. How you doing on the job? I know it's been kind of rough. Well, the Lord's helping me. Because he is. He's trying to. Let me say it that way. He's, he's working in you. But our consciousness of that reality can really set us up to receive his help that we need. I need his help. I, I confess before all. Don't tell anyone. Just between us. <laughs> I need his help to do what I'm supposed to do. Both in, just to be a good person, to be a good man of God, and to be a good pastor. I need the Lord's help. And I think that's true for all of us. We need his help. And he's willing to give it. I tell you, he's willing to give it. He's not here to kick you, kick you to the curb, knock you down, but here to lift you up. Amen. Oh, the Lord is good. Father, thank you for working in here today.